This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Ryan Ash. Hello, Ryan. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? <laughs> Not too bad. I gotta ask, how many times have you practiced that opening line? Ah, <laughs> uh, look, it's uh, since doing it back in October last year. It's gotten more and more refined. I was gonna say it sounds it sounds very perfected. It it used to be just a jumble of words, and then it sort of suddenly found its little niche, um, uh, like found a little groove, and I've I've ever so refined it in that little groove. I'm very happy with it. It's a great little. A little spice of professionalism from not very... Very nice, yeah. I'm very like a mix of no, um, professional and unprofessional, and I like to keep it that way. Um, which, you know, you would know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, it's good. It keeps um, people comfortable. It keeps people loose. I know, it does. I'm very, I'm very happy. Um, so, because I know who you are, um, but the wonderful ear listeners of, of this podcast don't know who you are, tell everyone a little bit about... Who you are and what you do? Uh, okay, yeah. Hi, I am. I'm a 23 year old uh, actor from Sydney, Australia, um, and I I don't know if there's much more to that. I'm a, I'm a bit of a musician, but uh, it's more of a hobby than anything else. And um, I'm actually currently I I've I've gone back to school. I'm currently studying a degree in psychology. Um, so, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's that's kind of me right now. That's awesome. Like, a, what was the decision behind the psychology? Um, I think uh, to a degree, it was just the sort of thing of like, I started to come to a conclusion where um, I noticed that all of the greatest performers that I'd come across or I'd seen, um, they, your life reflects your ability to perform. Yeah. You live a great life, your performances will be great. And so I kind of started to follow down the track. And of course, you know, this doesn't have to be for everyone, but I suppose I decided that it was for me. But I decided that I needed to go and kind of find something, find something to learn, experience, and grow in as a person. I mean, I think one of the best decisions I ever made as a performer was to not go to acting school straight out of high school. Yeah. Um, and to perform. And I would say, not to talk myself up in any way, but uh, the performer friends that I do have that did go to acting school uh, have come and said to me that they think that I absolutely made the right choice because in the way that they've seen me grow as a performer, um, they think that it's it's really done its wonders. It's just living life and learning about people, about yourself. Um, yeah. And in turn, being able to understand characters through that uh, understanding of, of society and people, and, and by extension, I suppose psychology. And as a as an added benefit, it's it's an excellent fallback to have. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> you know, you as a psychologist, you'd be paid a fuck ton. Like, yeah, yeah, no, it. no. Uh, my my partner, my partner often tells me it's like you know you'd really only need to work two days a week. If yeah, you wanted to. It's it's. I don't think um, it's kind of. It's a very high paid job and same with any medical field. It's really just kind of one of those things that like doctors never struggle when it comes to a financial thing. Like, um, well, people yeah, always I just need help. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a great avenue, but I think it's also like, it's interesting that you raise that because I think that is also, um, it's a very important thing with the whole psychology of everything to really understand that when you do characters. And I think a lot of the time, people that don't have 
um, that fascination with other people or like that fascination of getting inside someone else's head kind of make very, um, I don't want to say bland actors, but they're, they can only do so many characters before you kind of just go, they're basically like a rinse and repeat. They're just performing. They're not like inhabiting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same person just in another film or TV series yeah. or whatever else they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's, which I, I want to list like, you know, like um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a classic example. Of- I mean, look, admittedly, in, in Dwayne The Rock Johnson's defense, uh, <laughs> he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood between 2016 and uh, I believe 2020. Because this year, I think it was Daniel Craig that took the top spot for that ludicrous amount they paid him to be in that last James Bond film. You know, you know why though. He has specifically said he has said he's specifically said it would require to be paid some sort of exorbitant sum, otherwise he'd slit his wrists before he yeah. played the role again. You know, and and <laughs> and someone who never like goes, "That's a great sentence." Also goes, "Are you are you saying you'll kill yourself rather than like, <laughs> what the fuck are you actually trying to say, Daniel Craig?" But I have a lot of respect for him because he, like, as a James Bond. Like he's the quintessential modern James Bond, but I don't think mm. he actually ever enjoyed being in those films. I think he just did no. those. Well, I suppose James Bond being the strong archetype that he is, you yeah. don't really get to do much acting in the role. Yeah, and you can kind of you can kind of tell with uh, you see uh, uh, Daniel Craig's other performances in other films is just like completely so far and beyond what James Bond was. Like I don't know if you've ever seen the film Lucky Logan. Oh um, yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of Lucky Logan, yeah. And is absolutely just about as far away as you can get from the from the from the yeah. classic British spy. Yeah, that's true. And I mean like even Knives Out is like um yes. one of my favorite films and I think the thing is he just inhabits this um, you know, smart but also, you know, southern drawl voice mm. and and there are so much to enjoy about that performance where you don't quite get that always with with some actors like you would never put you would never put like Dwayne Johnson in those roles you would, <laughs> just coming like, back to Dwayne the Rock Johnson man we're really ripping on him in this, <laughs> in this episode <laughs> look look I mean like it's that or Will Smith and I really and I look oh dear. I love Will Smith and a lot of things but I he is just Will Smith you know who is an actor who impresses me though every time he's on screen is Matt Damon, and he is an underrated, underrated actor. Incredibly, incredibly. I actually just rewatched Good Will Hunting the other day, and uh, I just it, it, considering what that was his like breakout sort of yeah uh, film on top, of, and he wrote the damn thing on top of that. Uh, it was just it, it's it's just quite jarring. Yeah, in the best way. In in the best way, really. Yeah, to watch. It, it really is, and I I just look at him and I'm go. There is a lot of respect that I have for that man, just to the fact that he's he's you know he's done such diverse um, films, and like one of my favorite films he's been in is The Talented Mr. Ripley, and that is just a weird psychological thriller film. Ever mm. and I think it's just like he must have been about mid twenties when he did that, because he's really young. But it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where you always knew he was going to be one of those actors that was really good at characters. But then, yeah, has had just such a hit or miss career when it comes to actually people wanting to employ him. Because yeah. I don't think, I think he's not super financially viable for a lot of studios. I think he's one of those actors that doesn't actually get a lot of people coming because he's more of an actual actor than he is uh 
the sort of like showmanship of you know bringing people to the cinema yeah absolutely like you've got to have a bit of a character outside of your performances to draw people in in a sense i suppose yeah um for those for those big budgets yeah well i mean like um prime example like you know if you talk marvel or or um dc half the reason anyone goes and sees these films nowadays is because of the actors in them because their personalities are so big absolutely I mean, look what look at what happened with The Witcher. Their budget increased exponentially the second Henry Cavill came on board. Yeah, it's 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 just like you know, the, it, it is about, and it's a shame because I feel like the industry then has taken a turn where it's not about performance; it's more just about how much, um, uh, how how big your ticket sales are going to be or how big the yeah. investment is going to be. I mean, be. at the at the end of the day, biz, business always always dominates business will always because yeah. it's 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 the people who are putting their money into this thing uh because they want to get more money out of it it's yeah it's just and it, it, i'd say even more heartbreakingly than it being less about giving a good performance it's no longer really about storytelling anymore no no it hasn't been about storytelling for uh, quite a while now and um yeah a very it, very long time very, don't get me wrong. There are there are select few directors uh, out there uh, who still who still try to uphold that. Uh, very much so. You know, you find something like that in in someone like Alfonso Cuarón. But uh, you know, it's 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 so what with studio interventions and everything, the heartbreak that was Spider Man Three. Oh, poor Sam Raimi. <laughs> I mean, it's it also you know talking about like directors who have done like big blockbusters and you know and sam raising is getting his second chance with doctor strange too um but i feel like with with a lot of directors yeah there's there's this real sense of they're not they're paid to make what the studio wants rather than what they want and those two worlds are very different um and you know like i've seen the Zack snyder cut um of justice like i will say this though i have <laughs> Anyone who praises Zack Snyder, I just go to everyone. It's like, stylistically, it's gorgeous. Stylistically, he has great eyes and and the use of visuals. Mm. Storytelling and beats, oh boy, he just has no... Like, he has an idea, but he drags it on to the nth degree. Well, the issue is, the issue is, is I, what I find with Zack Snyder's directorial style, and I've actually got another point uh, <laughs> behind this as well, which relates, which is actually, it's, it's, I'm really glad you brought up Zack Snyder, because yeah. it's exactly what I was thinking about. Um, uh, Zack Snyder, what I find with him, for the most part, is that his filmmaking revolves around moments. Yeah. These beautiful, incredible moments. And then he comes up with these moments and he goes to himself, all right, how do I get from one moment to the next? And I'll just throw whatever I have to in between. Yeah. Because I just want to get to the next moment. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think that's why, like, to a degree, as far as irritating as studio executives can be with intervention, I think they can be a little bit necessary because you see that in um, Zack Snyder's newest film, which he, I believe he wrote, produced and directed all on his own, which was, uh, I think, Army of the Dead or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. It was just, that new zombie apocalypse film with uh, uh, Dave Batista, Dave yeah. Dave yeah. Batista, which, by the way, I actually think he's an incredibly underrated performer. He keeps getting stuck in these poor action roles, he re- um, and he's <laughs> he's taken his change very seriously. But you see, you see, you see the issue with complete and total creative control 
is that you sometimes you need people there to tell you slow down no yeah that's that's too much i i think what really drew me out of that film is i didn't care about anyone no and their death were just insignificant in like yeah and also like this is the thing i feel like moments yeah, the moments you were talking about, they're just, this is what I hate about some films, but the moments like where they're just, you know, they're there, there's an unnecessary number of characters and then you just kind of go, okay, well, you're, a, you know, and I think the way Zack Snyder writes dickheads, like any kind of dickheads is they're misogynistic. They're all like this. They're very one note and there's no dimension to a lot of his characters. They're just like, this is my motivation and this is like... And half the time the motivation doesn't even make any sense. It's no. like that crime boss in, in, in that, again, that film, Army of the Dead. He hires this group of elites to go in and steal all this money and he's got his own little man there that secretly wants to get the head of the zombie queen. Why would you not just hire them to go in for the zombie queen's head? I don't understand. Like, what? what's your motivation here? Yeah. And why do you have to leave the others there for dead? Like, the guy grabbed the head and then waited for them to come out of the bank vault and everything. Like, you've got what you want. Leave. Yeah. I think it's also, like, what I don't get is, like, and he's wanting to make this universe of zombie, like, stuff. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) I don't want to sound like a... But I just, I really think that, you know, and everyone who goes, oh, bring back the Zack Snyder universe and all that, you know, DC bullshit. The thing is, it's very boring. (laughs) It's the issue, the reason it's boring, I'll tell you exactly why it's boring. It's because it's not its own actual original concept. It's parodying Christopher Nolan. Yes. It's something we've seen before, so therefore it's nothing exciting. And Man of Steel... Like, I thoroughly enjoyed, but I also think that the problem, yeah, the problem that it follows also is there's no setup, and when Justice like happens, you still don't care enough about these characters because you don't no. know them. They, you don't know Not where they've all, started. Yeah. You don't know how they got there. Um, there's a real sense of just, um, yeah, like even, you know, I the, the DC universe is so inconsistent that it, it just doesn't know what it's doing. And I think... You should always watch those films as standalones because the moment you start piecing them together like the MCU, there's no real point. There's no like, oh yeah. my god, you have to follow all these plot strands. It's like, oh I my. think I think that's what I think that's what Warner Brothers is is missing for the most part is that the uh, Dis- uh, Marvel and Disney, you know, they had time. Yeah, they had time with these films, and they're trying to play a game of catch up. And realistically, they should just be looking at doing their own sport. Yeah. Um. And I also think that just Kevin Feige is a, a clever, clever producer. Very incredibly so. And that's an example of a, of a producer who, you know, it, it can actually be beneficial for the film without yeah. just letting complete creative control go to the directors. Yeah. And I think one of the things that everyone's kind of like, you know, doesn't point out is a lot of the time when things were announced in DC, um, Kevin Feige had planned something or gone, oh, there's an idea they've already mentioned in our studio. Let's actually go forward with that idea and let's make it sooner than DC World. <laughs> and he's he's very good at that. Like the the fact that we've got Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and the multiverse is already being introduced into the MCU mm. prior to even Flashpoint 
ever introducing it, I think it's really smart because by the time Flashpoint comes out or the Flash film or whatever it wants to be called, no one's going to care except for the people who are Michael Keaton fans. Yep. Because Michael Keaton being in that film is the only reason people will watch that film. That's and, the only reason I'm going to watch that yeah, film. Yeah, 100%. I'm only going to watch it because of Michael Keaton. I don't care about anything else of that film other than the fact that Michael Keaton is. And I, I don't dislike Ezra Miller as an actor. I actually really enjoy his performances. I just don't care enough about The Flash in that film or that franchise. No, the Flash, the Flash that they've created, I think, is especially this sort of... Um, it's this kind of character that Hollywood is leaning towards uh, in, in, in a lot of uh, men in this kind of like yeah. awkward, socially uh, and developmentally stunted, uh, yeah. shy person with these incredible abilities. Um, and whilst I think representation is great in film yeah it's kind of moved beyond that to a to a, a very much a very strong and overdone stereotype i would say yeah i mean this this kind of makes me think about that like in terms of stereotypes and everything <laughs> but but i mean like you know because as a performer and uh, you know and everything how do you think like wh- where do you think like because obviously you love superhero stuff as well yes do you think you would if you had any influence in that kind of genre you would change how they do characters or how how you if you had that opportunity would you change how they do the characters ah uh, i mean i don't know it depends on the character i would say yeah uh, some characters are done marvelously well i think uh chris evans casting as captain america could not have been more perfect in that performance that he delivered yeah uh, i know there are people that disagree with me on that point but i i for me that was just the pinnacle of like what i imagine to be the all-american sort of uh classic guy that stands up for what's right and tries to yeah. fight what's wrong and uh it's very very much lawful good in a lot of ways um yeah although i suppose in civil war it kind of falls off that lawful side of things which is it's good to watch it's good to watch that kind of arc develop that he's not this kind of static character despite the fact that you know he's the man he's he's the man frozen in time but <laughs> you know uh, uh, marvel for the most part i think kind of hits their character beats very very well there are yeah. very few characters in the mcu that i I, I dislike um even even characters that i've never even really heard before um uh in the black widow film uh florence Pugh's character uh oh man stole that film in my opinion yeah. she was so incredibly witty and funny to watch um i was actually i was i was discussing this with a friend recently i think hollywood's very intelligently realized that uh costume uh setting and stakes uh, of a situation that audience members have never been in is enough to keep them engaged. The characters don't actually have to talk like everything is deadly serious all the time. And if they speak like we do in the modern sort of 21st century everyday average life, whether or not it's like fantasy, medieval, yeah, yeah, spy yeah. films, superhero films, it becomes incredibly more relatable and and audience members can connect more to the characters and it doesn't pull you out of that performance as much. No. I 100% agree with that. And I think that um, people, <laughs> the, yeah, the, just also though, I think it does help like with Black Widow, especially it was directed by a female director. And I don't, I don't, you know, I know there are some really good male directors, um, but I really think that film shone a lot on those moments where, you know, just that scene, especially where the, the humor 
of how the two were talking when you know you got Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh in the um like the bar scene where they're sitting at and they're talking about mm. like their sisterly relationship, but also how everything was a bit fake and how it was like their childhood. I just love that because the humor is so genuine and it's just like two people who have known each other for their entire lives. And you really believe it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that it, the action scenes, like there are so many times she should have died in that film, but oh, absolutely. the action scenes, <laughs> the action scenes are just, they're fun. Um, the the fact that I was watching with my partner and she just turns to me and just goes, I love the, I love that film because the fact that, you know, they both had their hair tied up, it looked messy. They weren't really thinking about that. And they were just like, they were just making honest remarks about things where they thought this was a shit situation to be in and, and put anyone in. And I thought that was the, you know, just the honesty and the level of, um, performance that film had and i and i think it's such a shame that it came out during a global pandemic like yeah of course it's it's, you know just the unfortunate thing of what um we've got to deal with at the moment but i think that film is a really good film and i actually think it's more enjoyable especially because of prequel films it's more enjoyable than captain marvel Mm. even though captain marvel is on a different thing and if you grew up in the 90s captain marvel is actually quite fun to watch and having grown up in the 90s Great film, love it to bits, but it is more of a fish out of water kind of film than yeah. Black Widow. It doesn't is. really feel like it fits in very much so with the uh, the rest of the MCU. No, uh, in comparison to the to the rest of their lineup. But I think on top of that, I th- at least for me personally, I, I I don't know if this comes down to. Uh, what I've seen personally in interviews beforehand, or if this really does carry over into a personality that you can see on screen. I just don't seem to. Uh, I don't seem to enjoy uh, Brie Larson. I just <laughs> can't seem to get behind her. A lot of people don't, and I just I find that a shame because I've seen her in a lot of ind- independent productions. She's great. She's a phenomenal performer, and I think that's one of the things that you just go, oh. Um, well, that's a shame. Perhaps it was, a, yeah, perhaps it was just, I don't know, maybe a character choice or something that she yeah. went along with, but it just, she, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think I, it just made it very difficult for me to want to root for her. Yeah. Um, and also on top of that, man, they made her way too broken. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, what's the point for other heroes existing? What's the give her struggles? She literally never struggles the entire film. Everything she attempts to do, she's successful at. Yeah, I know. I think it's also like, um, I enjoyed her appearance more in in Endgame, um, than I did in her own film. And I think I'll enjoy her appearance when we get to the next film of um the Marvels, because you've got um. You know, you've got Monica Rambeau and you've got um, uh, Ms. Marvel. Mm. And I just think that having a kid and, and then like the daughter of um, her best friend is, is a nice contra- um, contrast to this person who has just never really struggled, had all the success. And they're like, 
yeah, you're kind of a privileged asshole. Like, just just letting you know. I think yeah. that's um, and admittedly, Marvel Marvel has been so, and Disney by extension, uh, as far as supporting the MCU by well owning it. Um, yeah. uh, they they have been a very very self aware company. I think, and so I, I know that I'm not the only one. Like you mentioned, there are a lot of people that hold that opinion towards the character and Brie Larson's performance. I suppose by extension. So I think. I am also looking forward to those films because I think as self-aware as they are, they will make sort of moves towards yeah fixing a lot of problems that people have currently. Yeah. I also think that Marvel is very much more aware. And this, this will sort of like fall into another question I want to ask you. But I, I feel like Marvel is very now um, understanding of what cultures need to you know like these got these backlog of characters and they're like well these were written in a time where it was probably not the like written by a lot of white people and probably didn't know a lot about cultural things and they've gone let's bring in the correct people to handle these properties that we own and do something with it and make it better and i think like you know films like shang chi and black panther um coming out a really kind of give the culture back and you know when you have this backlog of characters you want to do that that it's not always these you know american uh you know like completely white american um superheroes it is a bit more Mm. diverse and i think that is going in the right direction in terms of like diversifying the cast um because you know there was a quote which i think it was like the ceo of disney said um that shang chi was an experiment uh and you know um i think it was like the actor sammy lu came out and said we're not an experiment where like our culture is important and i was like 100 percent behind him on that because i feel like you know disney have to walk this fine line of like if you're going to make these you know films and you're bringing in like actors um, different actors of all sorts of like cultures and 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 parts of the region into these films. You've got to be careful about how you're saying anything. And I think that some of the CEOs still sort of sit back and how things used to be and be like, oh, I don't think anyone actually will watch these. And I'm like, I think they will because I think that you actually underestimate your market in terms of how many people want diverse characters and how many people get bored of just seeing the same old, same old. Like, you will run out. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I was, this is a discussion I think I was, I was having uh, about a week ago now with, uh, with uh, my partner about uh, the film industry as a whole, which is I find that um, uh, there's been, obviously there's been a lot of calling for diversifying yeah. uh, characters in films, but um, what really films have been doing, obviously, is having the token character or so or essentially forcing the character into that, like shoehorning their race into into that. And I think diversifying casting is actually more a, an addressing of a symptom rather than the illness itself. I think yeah. what solves the issue is writing diverse stories, yes. not forcing diverse casting. Yes, 100%. I think, um, you know, one of my favorite directors, uh, Jordan Peele, he, you know, uh, absolutely does that with his horror films he really shows um the 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 simplicity of racism and how easy it is to um just casually say someone of um any ethnicity might be good at football or anything like that and it's just and it's just like hang on why 
why would that make them, you know, like athletic, you know, and there's just this, yeah, this big, I don't know. Yeah. It, it just, it really shows, I think, glaringly obvious. And I, ha- I hate this thing where people go, oh, I'm not that racist. I'm like, you know, if you're saying that you're needing a pat on the back because there is a situation like that everyone is a tiny bit racist or they just don't think outside of their box always. And everyone's guilty of it. And I find that remark so stupid because it's like you, you know, as people were constantly improving and constantly trying to be better, mm. but but there are so many people who still, you know, like I would be guilty of it where you think about like the casting of things and you go, oh, I've got to tick these boxes and I've got to make sure I've got, you know, because you're thinking about diversity, but then you're also not thinking how does that, you know, how does that affect other people? How do, how do they feel and how does that affect the situation? And you've got the token you know, token character. And it's like, you've just got to think about all these things. And I think, yeah, you know, I come from a very privileged position, but within that privilege, I've got to be aware of it. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of how privileged they are in terms, they just don't think about it and they go, oh yeah, that's a great idea. And then they just roll with it because they haven't actually thought, actually, that probably was me not thinking outside of my box and, um, you know, being like, oh, um, yeah, I mean, like, I th- I feel like that happens a lot, especially you know, like, um, just these days. Do you do you find that with with in terms of like something you want to bring forward? Because you know, in terms of like um, culture and everything, and just being who you are. Like, what's your cultural background for people who can't see you? Uh, I'm actually I am 100% Iranian. Both my parents are from Iran. They're Persian. Uh, I was born here, so um, I've got the kind of best of both worlds as far as that culture goes. You know, yeah. Raised, raised here in Australia, and um, obviously I, I, I've been taught my very, very rich cultural background uh, and uh, hi- my people's history from my parents, my grandparents, my, my yeah. aunts and uncles, and just family in general. Um, look, honestly, I think I find, I find that I, I don't really seek to have any sort of I suppose representation per se, uh, yeah. but that could also be. I, I'm I'm well aware that that could also be entirely to do with the fact that I was raised in a, a, a Western culture, you know, uh, 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 and for years and years without even really thinking about it. If you told me, imagine a prince or imagine uh, a knight in shining armor, I'm imagining a white dude with flowing blonde hair and dazzling blue eyes or whatever. And that's just kind of that inherent bias that you get growing up, growing up in a Western country, I suppose. Um, But as far as me being a performer, I found that like, as as just an interesting point, I suppose. Um, So my full actual, my full name is Ryan Ashtari. Um, but I go by Ryan Ash, as anyone really knows me on, on social medias and anything. And that's because a few years back, I changed my uh, name on all of my uh, acting applications and auditions. And what I found is that very, very quickly, people started treating me as if I was some sort of, you know, like slightly darker, tanned European, uh, rather than uh, a Middle Eastern man. And, and roles yeah. really started opening up for me. Do you think that sort of shows the slight underlining racism that our the country has as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I think I think there is a. It's like you were saying. Everyone's got uh, certain demons they come with that they struggle with uh, when it comes towards, you know, race and prejudice and judgment. Uh, because uh, at the end of the day, human beings are judgmental creatures. Yeah, uh, in, we almost can't help it. But I think what obviously what 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 makes human beings really human beings is that we aren't slave to our instincts. We aren't slave to our first thoughts. We are able to override that and say no, that's wrong. That's incorrect. Yeah, it's it's not the thoughts that makes the person. It's their actions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think. Like, with you saying that as well, I just think that the thing that I listen to, and I know that people can't see you, but I think also one of the things is people would go, oh, but Ryan doesn't have an accent or anything. And it's like, the, you know, like, automatically I feel like that is also such an un, un, underlining racism thing as well. It's just mm. people assume and that you know, where you come from, you must be defined by everything. Even if you're born here, you have to be defined by, um, like, everything underlining. And, and it's just, it's it's very absurd to have that, you know, because, you know, culture and, and where you grow up and everything, and, you know, the, as you say, the best of both worlds, having everything across the board is great, but it, there are so many people who have come to Australia and been forced and and I think the forcing of such a uh, you know and and I think media does not help. Mm. Um, the arts and culture and everything in Australia is like very hit and miss on how helpful it is. Mm. But I think sometimes where we go in like news articles and stuff, like television doesn't really like showing anything other than white people. Yeah, like a lot of network television has to show white people because there is a fear that people will tune off if you have any any ethnicity in you and it, that for me is just pure like bullshit um, well i suppose what it comes down to is like and i i say this in the sense of to understand but not necessarily to excuse because yeah uh uh, uh reason is not the same as justification but um i would say i c to understand probably why and where that comes from my best guess would be well, a majority of the population of the country is white. We, I think over 90% of Australia is white. Um, yeah. And when it comes down to it, you want your viewers to relate to your content. And it's it, it, it can be hard to grow up in a country where, you know, they don't really... I mean, obviously, me being ethnic and having that viewpoint of that, you know, knight in shining armor looking as he did, uh, in my mind, just visually, is proof of this, that growing up in this country, they don't exactly teach you the necessary lessons uh, uh, that would allow you to div diversify your mind uh, and prejudices internally. And so, as a result, uh, it, ma it makes it very, very difficult to relate to someone that comes from a different background, a different culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and... Well, like we were saying earlier, it's all business, it's all money, which uh, is, when it comes down to the to media, the arts, I think we can both agree is probably the wrong approach. Absolutely. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. And I think it's very interesting that you say all that because that is 100% how I feel. And yeah, it was something that I didn't, you know, and I will be honest, I didn't grow up with being as aware of it is as I am now. Mm. And I think because when you grow up, and especially I saw this, this in the 90s, it was very different. It was 
completely different to how things are now. And I think, you know, anyone who says to me, the PC culture and everything is like total bullshit. I think it's great because, you know, there are just so many more opinions out there and there's, you know, and you can filter a lot more. Like, that's a wonderful thing, you know. But I think, yeah, it just in terms of the all those things that it, that kind of diversify everything, the the sheer blanket, you know, um, excuses and, and stuff, I'm just, I can't. I can't listen to people when they have excuses anymore of just being like, oh, I, I grew up that way. It's like, well, change. Like, mm. you have the ability to change like everyone else. And saying you can't is just, uh, to me, is sheer laziness because it is like, some, you know, people are just scared of it. People are scared of change. They're scared of accepting that something is normal and they don't know what to do about it when when it like is presented in front of them or they have to talk about it. Yeah, no, change change is honestly such a lovely thing and it's such a shame that so many people are so so terrified of it, but you're absolutely right. It's something I tell my own mother when sometimes she might behave in a certain way that causes her to I don't know, dislike how I walk in and out of rooms. Uh she gets scared very easily and so if I open a door slightly faster than usual, she'll jump. And I say, well, mom, you've got to kind of get used to that. Like, no one's going to really cater for you in life and slowly open doors for you everywhere you go. And she's like, well, this is who I am. Don't try to change me. <laughs> and I'm like, this is who I am is the poorest excuse to continue being one static person I've ever heard in my life. If you're not constantly trying to improve and grow as a human being, you suck at being a human being. I mean, that's just my <laughs> opinion, but yeah, I guess I, that's how I feel on the matter. <laughs> I think, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think, interesting. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah some people are very scared of it like little things but I also I do agree like if someone's coming in and out of a room and you get scared of it like try and try and just like get over that admittedly it wasn't it wasn't the greatest example on my part I don't really know how you can kind of grow from that I don't know like watch a bunch of horror films or something jump scares just get yeah. yourself good with jump scares <laughs> just don't watch horror movies then um absolutely but I mean like Going back to acting and everything, where did this start? Because where little Ryan must have had always an interest in in acting. Where did it start for for you? Um, for me, I think. Well, look, I, I've always been incredibly performative before I can even remember. Honestly, I get told stories. Uh, um, uh, a lot of my family members think I get it from my uncle. Uh, he's arguably the most creative man I've ever met in my entire life. He can play just about almost every instrument except the violin. Uh, and he taught himself to play all of them without any lessons, without any knowledge of music theory. And you'd think this man had been taking uh, classical classes for a decade. He's yeah. so incredibly talented musically. Uh, and so I think my parents uh, showed me once they had it on uh, cassette tape and they played it for me a few years back. There's a recording of me singing the Persian national anthem on uh, Iranian radio as a two-year-old. Um and so uh from there it kind of just uh uh it's just little stories i heard here and there of how i would make up songs on the spot to entertain people i used to constantly (laughs) put on accents to make my mother laugh because uh i kind of liked that when she laughed i thought it was a really nice thing so (laughs) i just kept doing it and kept doing it and uh and i think in every performer there was once upon a time a child that loved to play pretend yeah Um, so, and, and that was most certainly true for me. Uh, 
Yeah. And, and yeah, and from there, I kind of, I didn't even really consider becoming a performer, becoming an actor. I, I wanted to be a singer for the longest time because that's, I did that from a very young age. And uh, I, I did classical violin training for 12 years. So musically, I was, I was very learned. And um, mm. then, my, then my balls dropped. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> uh, the voice crackling and such. And I was like, oh, well, I suppose it's not for me. Um, <laughs> and then uh, drama classes in high school kind of started coming underway and I, yeah. I was instantly obsessed and my teacher recommended I try out for the state drama ensemble and I got in my first go and from there it was just kind of a trajectory of meeting people that uh, put me on the path to wanting to be a performer. My dad also, a lot of credit to my dad in this area, he used to run a bookstore uh, and one of the ways he used to advertise was there was this local uh, music theater group uh, yeah. and uh, they used to hold a raffle at intermission and he sponsored their shows and they would at the raffle give out free books of his which ended up just being free advertising for his show for for his uh, for his bookstore and um as a result they went to see a bunch of these shows and he thought to himself well ryan likes to do this sort of thing and so little nine-year-old ryan got brought along one time to an audition uh, and I started performing with them and I, I kind of never looked back and now I've been in this industry for nearly 15 years. Um, so yeah, performing, performing really is everything for me now. It's just kind yeah. of, it became such an incredible tool to discover myself and, uh, really, really find out, find out who I am. I think it's, it's, it's this idea that I kind of came up with is that, Everyone tells you in your 20s, like, oh, you're in your 20s, you've got time, you know, like, yeah. don't be in any rush, just, like, live your life, have fun, and whilst that's a nice sentiment to have, I think, I think it, it was an original twisted message, you know, don't be in any rush to lock yourself into one thing, find yeah. out who you are first. I, I think that 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 was probably the original intention of that message, and um, once you know who you are, once you have that path, don't let anyone stop you. <laughs> run your way straight through to hell and back if you have to yeah i i think that's i think that's really true because i feel like um you know performing performing especially like um is just one of those very joyous fun things and you know any kid loves to play pretend um but yeah it's it it is funny because you know um, you know, people talk about life experience and everything, and you've got to go and get that, you know, amazing life experience, mm. and then you become a better performer and everything. Um, and I think, yeah, like the older I've gotten over the years, that has definitely made me more aware of things. And I absolutely think that if I look back at like, um, you know, my 18 or 17 year old self, and when I was trying to do these you know, monologues in drama class or anything like that, where it was just like, you know, these are these are monologues for forty year olds, like or fifty year olds <laughs> yeah. doing it. and and you're trying to do them as a seventeen year old. And there is a sense of life experience that you really haven't quite gotten until you leave school. And I think, yeah, it's you know, I I think there's an element of we don't you know, and you might disagree with this, but I, I think there's an element of as, as a performer, as a creator, there's a part of us that doesn't want to grow up, but there's also a part of us that does because the more grown up we are, 
the more you know we can do i absolutely i think i i, I really agree with that sentiment sentiment in a lot of ways that yes there is 100 percent that side of me that's really so desperate to not to not grow up to hold on to this sort of like dream-like state that you hold as a child when you when you pretend to be that character you run around on the grass with your friends swinging imaginary swords around taking cover behind pretend uh boulders and yeah yeah, uh, yeah. it's just it's really this incredible thing and then yes exactly on the flip side you have this inescapable desire to to just to experience i wouldn't even say it is necessarily to grow up but it is just to experience everything everything around me i i i know this in so many of the other performers and actors i know actors more so than anyone are kind of hobby sluts yeah uh, in of that we will pick up so many different things anything and everything just a little bit of dabbling here a little bit of dabbling in that just because we want to experience absolutely everything and anything the world has to offer in the way of uh fun and sadness and emotions and 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 complex feelings and just just whatever there is give it to me <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i like I, I think you know and that and that's the beauty i think of a lot of you know characters and stuff out there because yeah like you know i think one of those roles were like you know superhero films you know going back to superhero films they're the kid they're the stuff of kids dreams like but as an adult there were also a lot of stuff to work with because psychologically there's a lot of like elements and it goes back to psych, um, you know, you're studying psycho, um, psychology mm. as well. It, it, there are just so many elements to these characters. And I find it interesting when people go to me, oh, that's a kid's show. And I'm like, yeah, but as an actor, you've got to really kind of find the layers of that kid enjoyment and that, and that, but that seriousness and that kind of gravity and everything. And I think a lot of people kind of, you know, underestimate what a performance is and what it means to be a human because we say, you know, everyone's just like, there's this running thing with performing where everyone's just like, oh, actors, you know, they don't need to be paid. They, you know, they, you can, they can do a free gig. It's not that much work for them. They only have to, you know, cut between scenes. But there's a real sense of actually a lot of prep workers, you know, because you've got to think about the psychology, you've got to think about where they've come from, you've got to think about their child like their childlike excitement but they're also their demons as we say about people and yeah people just go oh but it's not that complicated life's not difficult i'm like well i i think i think that's that's actually that's a, that's a really good point that you bring up is that um is that it's that it's kind of in a way it's like kind of you go to your gp you're feeling a little bit ill you talk to them for all of 20 seconds and they get paid how much by well at least here in the government with, with yeah <laughs> But still, those those doctors are being paid a, 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 a quite a, an insanely high sum for the short amount of time they spend sort of looking at what's wrong with you. But you're not really paying them for the time that they've spent. You're paying them for all the years they've spent honing their craft and skill. And I think it goes likewise with actors yeah. going out of their way to feel everything life really has to offer, to be those people that say, no, I will experience change. And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, and I think that's that's kind of... That's that's where a lot of credit really does need to come into actors and their performances and 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 considering that you know maybe this doesn't maybe I shouldn't just be taking advantage of this person whose entire life and career and craft has been working towards something like this to be able to give me something like this yeah. that your average joe can't but mind you the industry now is now shifting even further away from that in the sense that we are now so globalized as a, as a society that 
directors just find the people that already are the characters they they are trying to portray and that's why we end up with so many of these one trick pony actors yeah sort of, sort of popping up out of the woodwork you know you don't really get your leonardo dicaprio's your gary oldman's your your johnny depp's that are able to be character actors um in ways uh as much anymore that are able to like play this role or that role or whatever because directors are looking for people that just are the characters yeah a hundred percent, and I think, um, yeah, in terms of craft, as we were saying, um, craft is really dying, and you know, and and just storytelling is really dying because, mm. um, you know, like one of my favorite actors is Michael Sheen, and he is just a phenomenal performer. Um, but he said something really profound where he thought when he was younger he was the bee's knees. He was like, "I'm fucking great." I'm the best thing. And he had had a couple of auditions that didn't go ahead and people were just like, God, you sound arrogant and everything. And now he's like in his late forties, early fifties. And he just says like, I'm not that good, but I enjoy performing. And I know I'm good at some things, but I'm not good at everything. But I just, you know, I, I don't look at that young person and go, God, I, he knew everything. It's like, no, he knew nothing. And he had to learn and I think one of the, you know, the, you know, the good shows like Good Omens, which he last was in, really show that there is a way of doing characters and you can have fun with them, but they're also like, they're completely absurd. Um, but then there's other shows like he did Masters of Sex, um, where he played a real life person for, um, I think it was about four seasons. And yeah, it's just completely different characters. Like, you know. Um, where you can play this real-life grounded person who is just a medical professional. And, uh, yeah, you just... I think that's the thing where it's like, yeah, performing is the accent. Performing is, you know, like the the all this pre-work and, and everything. And there is this sense of, like, I get when you're a student and you can't pay people. Like, absolutely get that. But anyone who says to me that, crew should be deserved to be paid more than actors i'm like no they should all equally be paid because everyone is doing that level of training and pre-experience and work and they've worked a number of years to get where they were i think there is just there's i think i go along this rule now which is pay everyone and pay no one what's your thoughts on that especially with like doing free stuff versus paid stuff like what is your opinion on that I don't know. I, I I suppose I kind of I I understand the the approach that you that you have, but sometimes I think you kind of get locked into certain situations where you don't really have much of a choice. And of that, you yeah. want to work specifically with this one DOP who's like, I'm sorry, I just I can't afford to spend my time on projects where I'm not getting paid anymore. I need to be doing paid projects, but you know this DOP will make that film what it needs to be. Yeah. But then paying that DOP means you no longer have a budget to pay other people. But if you find performers that are willing to go without, you find cameramen that are willing to go without, you find lighting operators that are willing to go without, and they are happy to come on and do it that way, then, you know, that is entirely up to their discretion, I think. Uh, yeah. I think it's 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 arrogant to expect anything of anyone else uh, when you come into it and be like, well, I expect that you won't be paid. You can request, of course, request away, but 
uh it's really up to the discretion of the performer of the crew member that yeah. is coming on i think i think it's 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 really to break it down to its simplest form i suppose it's it's supply and demand yeah i think like i also agree with you and i think <laughs> i've just had some like from my experience it's very different people coming in and saying different things and i think that's really interesting because um you know generically you know if you're going to flatline this is to a simple t um it, a lot of people think you either do one or the other but also you know a lot of people have this contention where it's like crew are more important than actors or actors are more important than crew and i believe that in a cog and in a project everyone is super important and you know because everyone's doing a workload or everything you know to make you can't you know do anything alone in this industry like mm. you know it's the first that, rule of theater is that the ensemble is just as important as the leads yeah and i think there's like i i used to hate you can always tell us with the young actors or young performers you know when people look at line counts and they work out how many lines they've got yeah yeah i know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about <laughs> and people get thingy when they have less lines they go oh i want more lines and i'm like but it doesn't add anything like if you add more lines then your scene is going to go like just exposition or blur for the sake of blur and i think yeah it's interesting because yeah young performers and sometimes just any performer do this but they love having a lot of lines and they think that having less lines means they're less important. Well, see, I think that kind of brings it back around to that uh, to the earlier point of how storytelling is really dying because you see this in those performers that you talk about. They're not in it to tell a story. They're in it to be a performer or yeah. this, this notion of what they think a performer should be. They're in it to be great for the glory. Or for Which, you know, there's nothing wrong to seek glory, but I think if you're really looking to create something that's successful story comes first yeah like i 100 percent, i 100 percent agree with that i think was that always something that you also like as a performer do are you more about movement than you are about dialogue and stuff like how do you kind of like sum up your performer instinct mm, i think it really just depends on the character what the character is presented to me as that's why the more admittedly and and, and i've said this to you previously with 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 characters that i've worked on with you that the more lines i have the more i understand the character because i suppose my my approach to performance is uh and and i have a friend that i so because a couple years ago i was in a show uh called spring awakening which i was very fortunate enough to uh play the lead role in um and my my co-lead uh her name is uh, jess so she's a lovely human being um she's the kind of performer that says script is bible yeah script is absolutely bible every word is there for a reason the script writer is like spent hours and and upon hours weeks upon weeks kind of like really honing this kind of mastercrafted piece and I don't think there's anything wrong with that performance style at all. I know it's just absolutely not the way I go about things. For me, yeah. my style of performance is I should be able to understand this character as a person well enough that I can improvise and paraphrase as them and not believe that I have broken character, genuinely feel like I am still within their 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 life, I, that I, I, I exhibit the pathos of, of, of who they are. Yeah. Um, and if that means I paraphrase a word or two there, so be it. So long as I, I, I 
I know who I am. Yeah. I think that's and that's that's what that comes down to. So I I, I find as far as watching me on stage, I, I I'm not sure personally. I think I think uh people that have watched me would probably have a better opinion but i have been told that i have a very physically dominating presence when i when i do enter the stage um and i suppose that would reflect myself uh, as a person I, I i do like to move around a lot i i i jumping is fun <laughs> yeah uh and uh, I I do have a history in dance and movement as well, so I I do quite I do quite love performing through movement. But I I I also really appreciate the subtleties that uh, a face and and the voice can give. Yeah, and I, I know that is a note I have been given very often. Is where they say, Ryan, this isn't film. We need to see more bigger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, um, I think also one thing that people should know is you have an incredible voice. It's a very good voice. And it, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. It, it has a lot of authority. Um, but I remember something when we first met and we were discussing, when we were discussing Doctor Who stuff, mm. um, you <laughs> you were just like surprised. And, th- and this always kind of makes me laugh, was you were just like, oh, if you were going to cast me as the master or the doctor, I was surprised that you cast me as the master because normally I'm the happy-go-lucky one and yeah. you know, and I just think anyone who knows the character of the master is like this villainous, grumpy, but also like you know, depending on the regeneration, is kind of quirky and and you know, uh, sardonic and and you know, just weird kind of a person. And I think when I heard your voice and I saw your appearance, I was like, that is someone who you would look at and go in a crowd you'd be like not deranged but the more you got to know you'd be like no completely insane (laughs) and and completely works because i think you have this ability which a lot of people don't notice um when you sort of like look at your profile and everything is your eyes you know generally like and this is something that you know some people have which is your eyes look older than you are. Yes, I've been And told. therefore, they're always hatching a plan or they're always trying to do something to the next step. And I think that's very much like why I was like, you know, the, just the layers upon layers of just like not, not only your voice, but also something, you know, because we've talked a bit about doing radio and stuff as well mm. because of lockdown. And I think doing, you know, like radio as well, when you have such an ability to do stuff with your voice, as a performer mm. really lends yourself because when your voice sounds happy all the time or sort of in a ter- you know in a certain kind of like pitch yeah i think that automatically you sound good whereas you know your voice can fluctuate and go between good and it bad it can it can absolutely yes um and i love that because it, it that was the reason why i was like you know ryan is a master he is kind of like hatching plans he is he is sarcastic but he is also just completely bonkers insane and yeah it was i think it was also just every time i spoke to you you spoke at a million miles an hour <laughs> flipping, flipping. Oh, yeah that's the adhd slipping yeah. through <laughs> yeah. and i and i just love it um but yeah like that was kind of one of the reasons that i remember just chatting to you about it um yeah so i think as a performer though you do rail it in like you have the ability to always rail things in but you also n- I think the thing that makes you a good performer is you never have the fear of letting things completely go and going, I'm going to go big and bold and, and, and brush everything out and just go for it. Because yeah, a lot of, 
a lot of actors get hesitant mm. that they don't want to let people in, you know, to that kind of like, they're like, oh. That's actually, that's a lesson I learned my first theatre show I ever did was uh, this guy who came up to me and he said this to me. I'll never forget. It. His name was Dominic. Um, and I've never seen him after that. I have no idea what happened to him. I hope he's doing well. I, I hope you're doing great, Dominic, out there somewhere. <laughs> um, but um, he came up to me and he told me this, this little nine-year-old boy and he said, mate, if you want to be an actor... The first thing you've got to understand is that we don't understand what the word shame means. Oh, I love that. I, I, I and that is that has stayed with me ever since. Ever since. That's a great thing, and it's a hundred percent true. We don't know what shame is. Um, I think that you know, being scared or being fearful, and you know, like. We'll go into the topic of mental health in a bit, mm. but I think that that is something because most performers struggle with mental health. But I think, yeah, being completely scared of, you know, like I used to have stage fright and I got this from when I was in high school. I did a monologue and it was the whole class was write your own monologue. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I wrote a monologue and it wasn't, it wasn't story perfect. Like it had little inconsistencies which was you know because i was like 16 17 at the time i was like i don't care um and i performed it in front of the class and the teachers the teacher liked it and other students liked it but you know like the kids could ask questions at the end like you know critique each other's work and one kid just completely ripped into me like wouldn't stop going in into everything that i'd done for this character and i think he just didn't like anyone you know just up, you know, upstaging him or doing something just, you know, to kind of, you know, uh, and when he doesn't like someone, I think he just rip into them. But yeah, it was completely uncalled for. And I just remember after that, I had completely worried about being in front of people and crowds for quite a while. And it was just because of that one experience that really just was hounded. Like it was like a bad review of a film or anything you ever done. And I think it's taken me a while to come out of that other side where it's like, I don't care what people think because I'd rather have fun performing and doing what I love than holding back and letting, you know, this whole people be like, oh, that's shit. And it's like, I don't care. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me and mm. the people who actually enjoy this, not for people who think it's shit. Um, yeah, I think I think there's like a huge criticism, you know, because, you know, not everyone's going to think of Ryan Ash as being a fantastic actor. You know, I'm sure... Um, like, how do you compartmentalize your own, you know, mental health and everything? Because, you know, us both having ADHD, I know completely that that can sometimes be quite a challenge to kind of compartmentalize everything. Um, look, I think for the most part, it's like, I, and this is going to sound so bizarre. I've never really had a proper way of explaining this. Um, yeah. I have a very, what my acting teacher, my, my old drama teacher at school would call a, a very unhealthy way of inhabiting the characters that I do. <laughs> uh, in of that, I, I delve so incredibly deeply uh, with almost what you could call uh, from an external viewpoint, uh, an intention to lose myself, ah. to forget who I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of gotten to the point where I actually, uh, a couple nights of, uh, Spring Awakening, I, I can, I almost don't remember when I was on stage. Wow. Uh, I, I remember stepping off. I remember being in the wings 
and then it just gets fuzzy when I'm on there. Wow. It gets fuzzy. And, and the best explanation I have there is that Melchior took over. It kind of felt like I was there. I was still somehow there. But if my mind was a car and I was driving, at the moment that I stepped onto stage, I jumped into the back seat and Melchior s- switched over into the driver's side. Wow. And this kind of comes back to my understanding and uh, of that character is I need to know who they are in so many different ways. I almost a world build yeah. for them. Uh, and I have, I, as a child that really loved to play pretend, I developed this incredibly vivid imagination where I can completely reconstruct and, uh, uh, deconstruct and reconstruct my reality around me to the point where I, what I'm looking at in front of me right now, you could just, you could tell me to, to place myself in a scene and I would see it. Yeah. I would see it as if it was just genuinely real. Uh, I was basically hallucinating. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so what I found was um, I actually fell into quite the funk after playing the character of Melchior because for, for those who aren't uh, familiar with the story of Spring Awakening, uh, this, this poor 14-year-old essentially uh, gets expelled from school, uh, uh, loses his best friend because uh, uh, to suicide um, uh, because uh, he was uh, incredibly sexually repressed and uh he failed his studies at school his father disowned him and so he killed himself and then everyone blamed melchior for the suicide because they found an essay that melchior wrote for his best friend uh detailing just uh, everything about sex in general yeah because this, this this story is set in 1890s germany which is arguably one of the most sexually repre- repressed places in history uh and then on top of that, the girl that he develops feelings for, he accidentally gets her pregnant, uh, and then she dies of a botched abortion, and he blames himself for both their deaths, and comes to the conclusion that he needs to end his life too, and at the end of the play, uh, of the musical, they, uh, uh, their spirits appear to him, and, uh, he, uh, decides that he will live on, if for no other reason than to tell everyone their story, so that they will live on through him. Uh. It's a very, very sad sort of story and to to delve into that character as deeply as i do delve into my characters it really kind of it threw my mental health for quite a while yeah um but i think the way the best way that i had of dealing with that and coming out of that was just i have this incredible network of people around me uh of people that support me and lift me up and i think i take very very good care of my mental health just on a general basis in of that i I've got very, very helpful sort of uh, mechanisms in place that allow me to bring myself back onto the, a train of thought that will sort of help me come out of that. Yeah. Uh, and I have nothing to uh, uh, credit uh, that uh, for other than therapy, guys. <laughs> therapy is a beautiful thing. Everyone should go and look into therapy. I, I mean that. If you think you are healthy, if you think you are doing great, beautiful. You need therapy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hundred um, percent. Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people don't consider, and I've been asked multiple times, like, "Oh, should I?" You know, by friends being like, "Should I see a therapist?" And I'm like, "If you think you think you need a therapist, go and see a therapist." Like, absolutely, it's good for the soul. Honestly, mm. you don't even need to feel like you are suffering from a mental illness. It is, it is honestly beneficial for everyone. It really is, and like I see my therapist every two, three months uh, nowadays because, you know, just it used to be once a month when things were really bad. But I think now 
that everything's kind of just in limbo and I'm less way less stressed. Um, mm. But also, I will say this, like, and this is not for everyone, but medication really helps. Um, like, I suffer from quite bad, bad anxiety and medication has helped me massively. But, mm. uh, you know, in saying that, the people people don't like medication always. Like, they think that it will change them. And I, th- and I think it really just depends on the person and the brand you take and everything. It's just that. And of course, I think one of, one of the big fears is, is, is addiction is that people kind of get on this, on this kind of worry of like, well, if I develop a dependency on this medication, I'm going to be stuck on it for the rest of my life. I don't want that. And what I think a lot of people miss is that the reason that these fears exist is because medications like like anxiety medication, like ADHD medication, they're highly abusable. And if you go into medication looking for a cure-all, you will find yourself becoming entirely dependent on yes. them. Uh, uh, something my therapist taught me is that, is that the correct attitude towards taking medication is that you take the medication to develop the habits that will allow you to eventually one day no longer need that medication. 100%. And... Uh... I want to say this in the nicest way, but I am not addicted to any form of drug and never have been. I have taken Ritalin, Epilim and Prednisone when I was younger and um, I don't take them anymore, but now I take Lovin, which is my um, anxiety meds. And one of the things I do say, you know, and people go, oh, do you still need it? I'm like, man, like, yes. And, and it's, you know, I'm not addicted to them. I take one tablet a day, just mellows out, you know, all the chemicals in my brain. But I guess because of having ADHD and epilepsy growing up, I am in less fear of them than your average punter who, you know, has never yeah, taken medica- um, medication because, yeah. like... It's kind of more that fear of the unknown yeah. than actually anything reasonable. Yeah, it's 100%. It's the fear of the unknown. And I think it's like, it's the same with, you know, if we go to the vaccine... And people who, uh, you know, like talk about vaccines and everything. There are people out there um, who have had no vaccines ever in their life. Mm. And, um, you know, like there are vaccines for traveling. Like you can't go to certain countries without vaccines. Um, And I think that's something that people, you know, don't realize. But also like the flu vaccine and every other vaccine. Vaccines are trials. And I will say this to people. The medication I took when I was a kid was trial medication they didn't know that 100 percent that would work but instead of like not knowing my parents thought we want our child to not live a difficult life so let's give this a shot and the doctors were like this is unknown we do not know the side effects that might have yeah they were honest about it none this is the thing i say to people medical professionals give you the list of things of how to prevent things and I absolutely go, mm. listen to your doctors whenever you are sick, listen to their experiences and what they know, as we were saying before. Yeah. You know, that that is so many people, I think, these days listen to media and listen to social media and actually don't listen to medical professionals or people actually know what they're talking about that's actually one of the biggest issues i think with social media is one of the biggest is dangers is its potential to be weaponized in the wrong no, not even mm. weaponized per se but it's to be used in the wrong way of like obviously you know we live in an age where mental health issues are so much more prevalent than they've ever been yeah. um 
and because of because of the internet we have su- such a far-reaching access to uh, all these different ranges of people all it takes is one person to express an unhealthy opinion that resonates with several thousand other people who are struggling with a mental illness and because they all re- it, because it resonates with them even though it's the incorrect uh, I, I suppose philosophy to live life by yeah they will all agree upon that and the thousands of people coming to, to towards this saying yes this is i agree with this then all of a sudden in the eyes of a, a random passerby it's like well 25,000 people have liked this this must be great and excellent correct advice and it's like no this is just the power of the internet <laughs> yeah 100% and i think um you know just you know going I think it's like one of those things, yeah, like, you know, the fact that um, it was pointed out to me recently that, you know, most medicine, you know, there is like the average pill will give you blood clots. And that to me is absolutely hilarious when people start talking about blood clots and everything to me about vaccines. Oh, and, with AZ and yeah. everything. Yeah. And I've had the AZ. I've had oh, no same here. side effects. Well done. I can see the sexy on you already. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's like, you know, when you go to the get your AZ, the doctor tells you, hey, there is a one in like a million chance, basically, or one mm, in 10,000. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely closer to the million. Yeah. 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 But they give you the list of warning signs and go, if you feel like this, if you feel like this, go to them, you know, call in, say you're feeling like this. And if we go, this is quite bad, go to the hospital and they'll give you something to help and they'll sort you out. The the blood clots are so far and beyond more treatable than the uh, than actually catching COVID, which could end up giving you, as far as where it's very possible, it gives you lifetime side effects and uh, symptoms. Yeah. Whereas a, a blood clot, as long as you're vigilant, you don't stay home stubbornly being like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, you go to the hospital, they put you on blood thinners for two days and you are literally good as new. I- <laughs> I know, and I think um, now that they've sort of dripped and drabbed Pfizer out, um, which, you know, like, I will say this, the stupidest fucking, like, rollout ever, but... Yeah, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, for anyone who hasn't had the vaccine and wants to have freedom, go and get the vaccine. doesn't matter if it's Pfizer, yeah. doesn't matter if it's AZ, doesn't matter if you get Moderna, go and get the vaccine, go and talk to your medical professional, because they're going to say recommend because of your medical history what would be better absolutely and and i think people need to not be afraid of the vaccine in the way that there's so much misinformation out there and people go like you know oh they took this facebook post down or they removed this on instagram so it must be true they're trying to hide it from us like no these these services are obligated to remove these sort of things because it's misinformation yes this ends up being harmful to society it's what something that spread around is that people were uh keep thinking that the vaccine was rushed and it wasn't and the reason that we were able to get the vaccine out so quickly is that it, it it had the standard testing procedure that all vaccines go through. It's just the only thing is that we had an immense amount of funding for the vaccine. It's the manufacturing process that was spread up, the building of the factories yeah. that are required to produce these vaccines that's why normally normal vaccine production can take five years or so it's because building these factories over time is just it's an expensive long arduous process especially when there's not as much funding or demand for that said vaccine yeah do you think it is it has been developed excellently actually yeah i absolutely agree do you think though that with this misinformation and i know people post it all over social media when they get the vaccine and they go i think i think it's not the smartest move anymore is when people make jokes of getting the vaccine. They're like, oh, I've got my second dose, so therefore... And they show some weird photo of them 
you know, going, oh, I think I'm fine, and they look peculiar. Mm. And I think in light, yes, that would be funny. But the problem is everyone knows someone who's paranoid. Yeah. Everyone who knows someone who is unsure. So sending out the right information rather than joking about it is the smarter move because at this point in time, we need everyone to be vaccinated to go back to any sort of normality. Yeah, especially with cases. What was it? Today was uh, just over 1,200. <laughs> it's been like the last... I reckon they're going to get to 1,500 before it starts ever going down, even to like... Uh, I'm Honestly, I'm terrified it'll go beyond that. I have I have contacts that I know of that live within some LGAs of concern, uh, uh, local government areas of concern for anyone that's not in uh, New South Wales or Sydney. Uh, and, um, uh, my dad, uh, there's a guy that he works with. So my dad, he does construction work and so yeah, it's yeah, considered yeah. an essential sort of business. And he met up with one of his workers who's from an LGA of concern. And the guy was like parked across the street and my dad was walking over with his mask and he kind of like noticed that the guy wasn't wearing a mask. And so he kind of pointed to his like mask. And then the guy was like, what? Uh, mask, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? Are you sure? Of course. And he's just like, oh, my, my dad's name is Hamid. Uh, and, and the guy's like, oh, Hamid, bro. Like, you know, we don't, we don't wear this. We don't wear this around the area. It's no one. No, everyone kind of walking in the streets is just no mask. It's everything is okay, brother. Don't worry. It's fine. That is so concerning. That is incredibly concerning. I'm like, this is an LGA of concern. And you guys are just out and about in the streets with no mask. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, it's like the, um, and I criticize anyone who lives in my area when I see them walking in the park, but I, I absolutely criticize the New South Wales government for not shutting down playgrounds. The fact that things are still open in terms of playgrounds, shut them down. This is the weirdest lockdown we've ever had. It's so bizarre. It was like the Batuta Advocate gave this incredibly satirical thing that I saw all over social media. It was hilarious. It's like New South Wales finally enters lockdown after seven weeks of practice. Yeah, <laughs> I I loved that. I was like, they're going to really finally uh, do that lockdown that they keep saying might be happening Man, and then with gladys being like oh pat on the back pat on the back to fairfield just a shout out shout out to this lga or whatever <laughs> like gladys just just stop just, just please please stop um she is she is like kerry chan i am amazed she even looks alive right now i know she must be under so much pressure and and every time she comes out at the press conference like she just looks like she's about to drop dead. She's just like so tired. <laughs> and I just think, God, this entire year for her, absolute shit. You know, none of mind people in lockdown. The fact that you have to go to a press conference every day and say the same thing over and over and over again to be and like, have the media attacking you constantly. Yeah. The New South Wales government really doesn't help. The Liberal government, uh, as, as a, you know, more of a Labour or Greens person, but even Labour is pretty shit. Um, just, just a Liberal government is so shit at the moment, and the fact that our politicians and like Scott Morrison and everything, just, I can't believe so much of the bullshit that he tries to pull and go, oh, once we get to here and once we get to here, and it's like, no, you're wrong because, like, the fact that we've had protests in the city twice and melbourne's had protests and it keeps setting the lockdown back like sorry but shut the fuck up what have you actually done to benefit 
society no. other than just going no and on top of that hasn't benefited society but it's benefited all of his mates that are running major corporations that basically stole australian taxes through the job keeper program yeah uh, and and then on top of that then the government turns around and goes no actually we gave you too much we need this money back and they go to the individuals they don't go to the companies that actually made more money during covid than they have ever made before those lovely individuals we're going to take you your cash away from you well, these are taxes that i paid <laughs> <laughs> i think it's funny though every time you like the olympics happened um recently and every time he was like trying to avoid questions on on tv shows he'd always mention how good the olympics was and how good australia was doing <laughs> i was like Shh, yeah mate you know this is great like i don't care about the olympics what i need to know is facts Tell me the facts of what the shit is happening. This um, man was straight up caught out. I saw this yesterday. He was caught copying a speech that Harvey Dent gave from The Dark Knight in a press conference where he's talking about how, you know, it's that scene where he's just like, uh, the night is always darkest just before the dawn, but dawn is coming. He basically almost word for word <laughs> ripped that off. <laughs> oh, it's so fu- He has no idea what he's doing. What a fuckwit. I mean, but do you do you feel like you know with the the LGA areas of concern and everything? Do you think there is going to be some sort of normality to that soon, or do you think everything's still kind of going to be in limbo for the next year following? I think I don't think it'll be for the next year following, but I think we're at least definitely going to have problems till maybe even Christmas, yeah. uh, if not a little bit beyond. I think people just aren't caring they just aren't caring one of my friends that lives in an lga of concern you should have seen it man they were delivering like properly uh printed out on like shiny cardstock fully uh like photoshop digital design everything pamphlets for the last protest that they were organizing in broadway <laughs> they just lit it all through the letterboxes like an address a time uh all this like propaganda and everything like people are going out of their way no one cares wow it's ridiculous and i mean i guess that's why they're the lgas of concern because it's 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 people in those areas don't care and i hate to say it i hate to say it but as a middle eastern person i see it in my own people as well yeah they think they know better than everyone else in a lot of ways you see this it's very common in in people of middle eastern backgrounds is that they just they downplay so much and yeah. they can be very, very self-centered, especially when it's kind of like, it's it, it, it's very unfortunate because it's almost, it's not the people's faults, but it's like, especially these like uh, freshly immigrated families, you, you're coming from a country where it's every man for themselves. Yeah. The government is corrupt. It's either worn torn or as you know, people are living in this horrible sense of poverty and crime and it's a mentality you have to develop to survive and then you come to a country uh, a country like australia and all of a sudden not only is that mentality not required it actually becomes quite the detriment obviously speaking in broad strokes here it's not everyone no uh, no no you know my, my family is middle eastern and, and and you know we're all basically halfway through our vaccination processes i get fully vaccinated in another four or four or five days yeah um uh, but uh, it is very unfortunate, that, and I will be the first to say that it, it is very much so Middle Eastern families uh, yeah. that are causing a lot of this currently. Um, and uh, hopefully that kind of stops, but uh, I don't really see when specifically. Yeah. No, and I do think that a lot of, I, you know, I think that probably does come from a lot of criticism that Middle Eastern people were getting 
over the years by um you know like you know fucking politics which you know people like pauline hansen will want to criticize anyone mm. um of of like middle eastern backgrounds or anything like that and i feel you know that that hasn't helped you know the no, the attitude they're really not helping themselves <laughs> no um so i feel i totally understand that um but at the same time yeah it's, it is like you know putting everything of that aside just be smart <laughs> i don't know it's, it's mm. a very much a um you know people people at the moment especially with how like the protests and stuff have happened i really now think people are a lot dumber um because of it and uh and i don't say then like a light way but i do think a lot of people really are quite unaware of what's mm. around them and that comes from any culture and any sort of like yeah it really can be yeah absolutely um, i mean you look at bondi even 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 to this day it's just i don't don't understand close the beach like you did in the first lockdown yeah i mean also though i i do find like anyone who comes from like that area who is rich um yeah, you're an idiot for going out and doing, you know, just going to the shops and then being surprised you got COVID. They you find were... there is a lot of there is a lot of people in a lot more wealthy areas of Sydney that 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 do tend to play, like to think they play by their own rules. Yeah, and I'm sorry, we're all going to play the same rules at the moment. We're all yeah, we're you know, it doesn't matter who you are, and yeah, I think I think it's funny this this lockdown in particular and this and this whole attitude and there's been great TikToks, there's been great social media point out, whereas a lot of people aren't in this together. We're very much doing this. Everyone's playing by their own rules. And I think that's the daftest thing to go forward, especially when we're trying to get vaccinated and, and raise a milestone. Um, yeah, mm. it's, it's just bizarre. I mean, there are rules. And although granted, the New South Wales government page it's shockingly bad when it comes to what you're meant to do and what you're not meant to do. So Yeah, it's such a mess. It's so hard to figure things out. Uh, everyone stay home. Stay home for two weeks. Just don't leave your house. Hardcore lockdown will be fine. This will be done in two weeks. Yeah, well, if you if you pay attention to it, you'll be, you'll be going back to sentiments before you know it. Oh, my God. Um, but I think that's a perfect time for us to wrap that up, Ryan. Yeah, beautiful. I will say, talking to you is... Absolutely delightful. I've always a joy. Always a joy, Martin. I love it. Um, and where can people find you, Ryan? Where can people stalk you? Um, or you can find me on on Instagram at underscore Ryan Ash underscore. Uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of that's my that's my kind of public persona exists kind of within that. Or you know, you can Google me if things show up. <laughs> yeah, find Ryan Ash. You'll find him. You'll stalk him. He's everywhere. You don't yeah. have a website, do you? No, I don't, but I do have an IMDb page. Oh, there you go. There, go and find him on IMDb. He's attached to some things that I'm doing. <laughs> I'm one of one of two or three Ryan Ashes, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, They'll find it's, it's you. They'll stalk you. Um, and if you want to go and check out more episodes of the Things We Do podcast, you can go and check them out on Apple and Spotify. And I'll be speaking with another guest next week, and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Goodbye.